Hola and welcome to Catholic View on this Thursday evening. I'm Sheila Peach. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up in today's broadcast, we bring you our woman feature. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay with me. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Thursday evening, we take a look at some of the highlights of Pope Francis' 22nd Apostolic Voyage. Eritrean government closes Catholic seminary and clinics. And Congolese community in South Africa march in solidarity with the Catholic bishops in the DRC. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with church news. Pope Francis is in Chile for the first leg of his 22nd apostolic voyage and sixth visit to Latin America. Nosy Pochadebe filed this report. The Vatican has revealed that before he left Rome for Chile, Pope Francis met the parents and grandparents of a young Rome girl who was killed in an accident four days before her 18th birthday. The papal almoner, Monsignor Konrad Krajewski, accompanied the mourning family. It appears to have become a custom for Pope Francis to greet people who have been faced by life's trials before his international journeys. It is seen as his way of placing his trip under the symbol of compassion. For instance... Before flying to Bogota, Colombia last year, the Holy Father received two families whose homes were destroyed by fire during the summer in Rome. And before flying to Egypt also last year, he met with struggling young people. Prisoners in Peru are using their time behind bars to build simple wooden chairs that indigenous leaders will use during their meeting with Pope Francis. More than 100 inmates have been commissioned by the Catholic Church to build 350 chairs that will be placed inside a coliseum in Puerto Maldonada, a gateway into the Amazon rainforest that Pope Francis is scheduled to visit tomorrow. The chairs have been made out of the wood from Amazon forests, where illegal gold mining and deforestation threaten the delicate ecosystem. During his trip to the Amazon, Pope Francis is expected to meet with indigenous leaders traveling from as far away as Brazil and Bolivia. The pontiff has spoken about the importance of protecting the Amazon in the past, referring to the world's largest rainforest as one of the lungs of our planet in a letter to bishops. Staying with Catholic news, a Catholic priest in Eritrea has told Fides News that the government is beginning a persecution regime of religious confessions and in particular of the Catholic Church. He says the objective is clear, to prevent its influence on society, not by prohibiting worship, but by ending its services to society. Public officials have recently closed five Catholic clinics in various cities, as well as a minor seminary. Several Orthodox church schools and Muslim organizations have had to close their doors as well. The authorities also closed the only dispensary in one area 
as well as banning Catholic medical centers. This has led to great suffering, the priest said, as the few government-run centers are ill-equipped and badly run with severe shortage of medicines. Moving on to African news, the humanitarian situation in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC, is spiraling out of control due to a massive escalation of conflict and insecurity, said the UN Migration Agency, IOM. It's estimated that some 4.3 million people are displaced throughout the DRC, 1.7 million of whom were violently forced to flee their homes last year. IOM representative Jean-Philippe Chouzi said that the recent spike of displacement has made the DRC the country with the highest number of internally displaced people in Africa. The malnutrition rates, severe acute malnutrition rates in the Kasai have increased by 750%. Uh, reason for that is not because of drought or anything, it's just because people have been displaced so often in the Kasai, they've missed now three planting seasons. And if you don't provide that kind of food assistance now to kind of bridge that gap, uh, people who've been living off foraging in the forest, they, they, will, you know, they will suffer. And the most vulnerable will die first, and the children will die first. And that's a fact. Back home, the Congolese community in South Africa organized a march in Johannesburg and Pretoria to show solidarity with the Catholic Church in the DRC. We spoke to Father Jean-Marie Kuzituka Diho, the Chancellor of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg. Yeah, the Congolese community in South Africa, especially those uh, in Johannesburg and uh, those close by in Pretoria, organized a march. Uh, in support of the Catholic Church in Congo, which is uh, now uh, uh, organizing marches and uh, so many other activities to support a true democracy to take place in Congo. And the community, the Congolese community in Johannesburg, Pretoria today, organized that march that took place this morning. And um, we were surprised that we were not only us Congolese, but also... Uh, there are so many other communities uh, uh, in South Africa. We had uh, South Africans among us. We had uh, uh, Zimbabweans among us, uh, Angolans and uh, Nigerians and uh, Ivorians and so many other Congolese in the diaspora and even our brother, uh, the host country, our South African brothers and sisters. Our march was organized in, in uh, Yeovil and uh, Berea to pass a message of uh, support to Cardinal Mosengo in Congo and the Bishops' Conference. Uh, the Congolese community wanted to organize it uh, in that area. That's where we have so many Congolese that live there. And at the end, uh, they passed a message uh, of support, as I've said, to the Cardinal, which I received on behalf of the Cardinal. I have to scan it. Uh, email it to the Cardinal and to the Bishop's Conference in Congo and the many other people in Congo who are trying to bring uh, true democracy in Congo. Armed groups fighting in the north of the Central African Republic, CAR, have been given 48 hours to withdraw in order to allow villagers displaced by violence to return home. Some 60,000 people, mostly women, left everything behind in nearby villages to escape fighting between three armed groups last month, and around 40,000 residents of Paua took them in. CAR's humanitarian coordinator, Najat Roshdi, is in the capital, Bangui, and filed this report. 
Well, you know, the latest uh, clashes between the two armed groups, the NG and MNLC, actually, which started at uh, the end of December, impacted uh, power and forty kilometers in the north and the east of power, leading to the displacement of 60,000 people and uh, aggravating the vulnerability of more than 40,000 people, inhabitants of power. Uh, we registered also more than 5,000 in Marcunda, which is a village far, 60 kilometers far from, uh, from Pawa. And, uh, and we have uh, almost 15,000 refugees who fled to, to Chad. Uh, we don't know how many people uh, are in the bush, uh, but this is a real uh, catastrophe and a real humanitarian crisis. And we have examples, actually, where a family had to host more than 30 people overnight, you know, which obviously is taxing even more those poor families and is impacting even more their vulnerability. Obviously, when they left their villages, they left everything behind them. Therefore, they are in a very acute, critical, urgent need of humanitarian assistance, mainly when it comes to food security, when it comes to access to health, to water, and to NFI, the non-food uh, items. And obviously, there is an issue of protection, especially when you know that most of the displaced people are women. Um, more than hundreds of them are pregnant and children. And this is why the humanitarian country team and the humanitarian team in Bangui immediately delivered assistance using the stock we had in power and WS could on 12th of January distribute food to more than 20,000 for the first week, knowing that we will have to cover anyway 100,000. We have already sent to a convoy some additional uh, food through Bosongoa uh, because we did not have enough stock, uh, you know, in power. Moreover, uh, immediately uh, I got in touch with the MSF, who is the major health uh, partner there, and they, uh, they scaled up actually their presence and they made sure that the, all the health services were free for everybody because that was not the case uh, before. And they set up also some mobile clinics so they could go to all the areas and provide emergency health services and treatments and medicine to women and children uh, who are affected by malaria and a number of other diseases, including some, some very worrisome uh, uh, you know, uh, infections. The United Nations says more than half of Somalia's population is in need of emergency aid due to a major drought and worsening conflict. Millions have been forced from their homes and hundreds of thousands of children have been left malnourished. Bernard Smith reports. Most Somalis are finding it hard just to survive day to day after more than four years of drought and the continuing war with al-Shabaab fighters. The UN says it just managed to stave off famine in Somalia last year. But with poor rains forecast again this year, more intensive aid will be needed to help the one in every two Somalis who are displaced by widespread fighting. All together over the years, more than two million, a fifth of the population, one in two Somalis is displaced away from their home. This is fueling suffering. It is fueling the levels of humanitarian need and they do not have livelihoods and other ways to survive. For more than a decade, Al-Shabaab fighters who are linked to Al-Qaeda have been trying to take over Somalia. Bombings in the capital, Mogadishu, and conflict nationwide makes it hard for aid groups to introduce products that will help the economy grow long term and reduce dependence on aid.
our work has to be a long-term work on how to help Somalia stand on its feet, support the Somali people so that we are not in the same circle every year, responding, responding, responding to crisis. The threat from al-Shabaab gunmen remained significant despite being forced from much of the territory they controlled by forces from the Somali army and the African Union. Reduced funding means 21,000 AU troops are due to leave Somalia by the end of 2020. Somali government leaders say they don't have the resources to plug the gap those troops will leave. That risks more instability and rather than aid groups helping Somalia become self-sufficient, aid workers are struggling to keep the population from starving to death. Ethiopia has freed an opposition leader as part of an amnesty of prisoners jailed over anti-government protests in 2015. Merera Gudina was released with more than 400 others in a move towards political reconciliation by the state. The leader of the Oromo Federalist Party had been arrested after a visit to Brussels. He was accused of collusion with outlawed groups, a charge he always denied. Paul Brennan reports. Marela Gudina is a hero to his supporters and thousands of excited well-wishers formed a guard of honour to escort his convoy the nine miles from the detention centre on the outskirts of Addis Ababa to his home in the nearby town of Bareu. The leader of the Oromo Federalist Party had been arrested after returning from a visit to Brussels a year ago. He was accused of collusion with outlawed groups, a charge he always denied. For myself, I have never violated, violated the law. I was a former member of a parliament. I know the constitution and the law. Um, I have been always, uh, you know, respecting that. Anyway, it's good that I'm out. His freedom came as part of government efforts to stem a spreading wave of violence and unrest which flared up in 2015, has claimed hundreds of lives and threatens the stability of one of Africa's fastest growing economies. On January the 3rd, in a move aimed at defusing the tension, Ethiopia's Prime Minister announced he would release many prominent dissident politicians. With our, with our party and the members, we will decide in the next days and the weeks what to do and what not to do. Especially how to deal with a government call for national dialogue. If it is real and honest, we are for it. But Amnesty International and other observers warn that a few high-profile releases will not be enough. The regime has to do more, has to rescind these uh, draconian laws, has to institute uh, judicial reforms, uh, security sector reform, a, com a complete overhaul of the electoral system. Without this, uh, I don't think um, the people will be re uh, satisfied. Thousands of prisoners of conscience are still in jail, accused or prosecuted for protesting against the government. In a statement, the U.S. Embassy said it was encouraged by the latest releases. At least 12 people were killed yesterday in twin suicide bomb attacks in the northeastern Nigerian city of Maiduguri. According to Al Jazeera, the explosion struck the Muna garage area of the Borno state capital, a market used largely by internally displaced persons from a nearby camp. Abdul Qadir Ibrahim, Information Officer for Nigeria's National Emergency Management Agency, Northeast Zone, said another 65 people were injured and four female suicide bombers were responsible for the blast. 
Yesterday's attack marked the first suicide bomb attack in Maiduguri in 2018. While no one has claimed responsibility for the attack, the Boko Haram group, which launched an armed campaign in the northeast almost a decade ago, has targeted Muna Garage in the past few years. And finally, staying with Nigeria, the new High Commissioner to South Africa, Ahmed Musa Ibetu, says there is a need for intensified engagement amongst government and civilian organizations to harmonize tense relations between Nigerians and local citizens. This follows the recent attacks on immigrants, mainly Nigerian nationals, in Rustenburg in the northwest province, where violent clashes led to the torching of several houses after allegations by locals. That Nigerian nationals were using the properties as drug dens. The clashes heightened tensions, sparking fears of the rise of another wave of xenophobic attacks. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You are still listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday evening. Well, being a Thursday, we bring you our woman feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls. You can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage, and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our woman feature. She's a mother of two who is fully employed and still studies through UNISA. She's also very much involved when it comes to doing pastoral work. As she is a youth leader, she's a choir member. She's in the PPC, amongst many other things, in her parish in Midrand. Her name is Pumla Dladla. But above all, she also saves in order to give back to society, to those most in need, especially the young ones going back to school. And this is her story. Let's listen. Pumla Nada is a young woman who is Catholic from uh, Our Lady of the Sacred Heart in Midrand. I am currently a choir member, a member of the PPC, a member of the Parish Finance Committee, Youth Coordinator, my list is so long, <laughs> Youth Coordinator and 
co-acting in the fundraising committee. I went to Standard Bank, I'm a business manager at Standard Bank. So then I'm studying, I'm doing uh, the learnership program which was introduced last year. While I'm doing that leadership program, I'm, I'm also registered with UNISA uh, doing internal auditing. So it's two institutions and a full-time job, and I juggle in between the three. Yeah, that's me in a nutshell. My goodness me, <laughs> my goodness. When they say women multitask, that's exactly what they mean, hey? People like you yes. who are yes. just involved everywhere possible. But now, Pumla, yes. outside the church, what do you do? For a living. Okay, my passion is, uh, my passion was triggered by the way I grew up. So currently what I do, the grade one learners who go into school for the first time from Ebony Park, I help them with school uniform. So what I would do, I would go to a center in Ebony Park called Riahula and I'll ask the lady there, do you have any child who's in grade one who needs shoes, uh, school uniform? And then what I would do then, I would go and buy for that child. But then I realized that I'm from Gauteng, it works well from Gauteng, and I chose another province, which was three states. Actually, I started last year, and I would also ask people I know, please identify a child who's going to school for the first time, and then I would go and buy them shoes and school uniform. And the reason behind that is when I grew up, I grew up with nothing. And I never had that support. So I am touched when I see a child going to school bare feet or with shoes which are torn, which is your first day at school. So yeah, literally that's what I, that's where my passion lies. Pumla, that's such a great deed towards the future generation of this country. But now, how do you sustain your, your, you know, this service? How do you do it? Do you do this out of your own means? I do it out of my own need. What I would do, I plan ahead because I know that I've got 12 months ahead. So what I've done literally, I've sacrificed on a lot of things. I don't eat fancy things. I don't go to restaurants. I don't do McDonald's, this and that. And whatever money I would spend on that, because if you go to McDonald's, the cheapest meal is 40 rand. So I would put that money aside. Like in a month, you'll find that it's 160. And if I do that for 12 months, at least I, I get satisfaction to say that I have sacrificed this, but I can see what I have done. I haven't thought of asking people because this is my satisfaction. So one man, and it works. I, I Usually I would buy in December when school uniform is cheap. And yeah, so far I'm managing. I don't, I don't do it much. It's only this year. I've started with one child from Free State. She's going to do my trade. It's going to be my first experience. I don't know if it's going to be costly or not, but I just want to do it for her. Coming back to the church work that you do, you did mention quite a few. You're involved with the PPC, you're involved with the youth, you're in the choir. Talk to us about your work at church level. I think my children are going to love when they hear this because last time they were saying, oh, mommy, we are always at church. But obviously they're young, I take them with. So then it will be Monday to Friday in school and studying. And then Saturday morning, they go for sports in the morning. After that, they know that you're going to church, you're going to do this and that. And I, I always have the bike in the boots. I have a ball. Wherever I, I land, they go out, they know they must play. Mommy is working. And 
the balance is there. Not 50-50, but yeah, it's there. Now talk to us about the activities within your parish. Let's start by talking about the youth. What is it that you aim to teach the youth in your parish? What What are you inspiring words to them? My in- inspiring words to them is that they are not the future church. They are the church now. And this thing of them hopping around, going to other places because the Catholic church is boring. I've learned that there's nothing called boring. It's what you do. You can make fun for yourself. It's the choice you make. And another thing I've I've also noticed is that there's a gap between high school and tertiary education is that once they have metric, after metric they go to tertiary and then uh, six months later they drop because they haven't been prepared to say tertiary is different from high school, including choosing a career because you'll find that someone who's in grade 11 or grade 12 don't know what the future plan entails. They don't know what they're going to do. You ask them, have you registered tertiary for the next year? They haven't registered. So my idea would be plan for your future. You know what you want. Look at your strengths and your goals, and then you plan looking forward to say from here where to, and then so that you don't struggle. Or oh, while you are in varsity second year, you realize that you've chosen the incorrect career. Now you want to and it's not like with us in the past whereby finances would be a challenge, you see. We, if we talk and if we do research, you'll find that there's uh, so many organizations which could fund young people with feathering their education. No, that's very good. That's very good. And you know the, there was the Mini World Youth Day recently. Did some of the youth from your parish attend this? Yes, we went, including me. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't stay behind. <laughs> no, I didn't stay behind. It, it was a good experience, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But now, after that experience of the Mini World Youth Day, and you as a youth leader, as somebody who's in the forefront in so many aspects of the church, what have you come back with? And how has it changed the way you see the church, the way you speak to your fellow parishioners about the Catholic Church? I think what inspired me mostly, besides the main event, was days in the parishes. Our first day when we landed, we went to Empangeni Diocese in Richards Bay. So for days in the parishes, we went to for the youth center, yeah, youth center for orphanages for for young children. If they've dropped out from school and they have kids, then there's still hope for them. So we spent a day with those kids whereby. We're talking to the young mothers, and I think what touched me mostly is to see a lot of children, and I'm saying 95% of those children did not have shoes. 95% of those children did not have proper clothes. Then one question which came to me is that, as Catholics, what are we doing? As Pumla, what am I doing for, for, for this kind of children? Because there is something we can help with. And I've realized that children who don't have anything, they, they work very hard. We played volleyball and we played netball. The, uh, the netball poles, they did it themselves. You see, it was cute, but because they wanted to do this, they did it themselves. And when we came back and we were reflecting with the young children from my parish, it was a matter of what are we going to do differently for the children here in our neighborhood. 
you know how many clothes we've got in our wardrobe and we don't even wear and we could do that we can give them away uh, to the needy but nobody has thought of that so as a matter of every time you need to buy something new not necessarily you can look at the best you've got and give it away no, beautiful stuff. Thank you so much for those insp- inspiring words that you've just uh, shared with us. I mean, I'm sure we are all learning a lot with you that we can always give back, no matter how poor we are or how little yes. we have. There's always, yes. uh, you know, something that we can give back to our society, to our community. Now, Pumla, this is a women's feature program. What are your words to all the women that are listening to you right now? What have you got to say to them? Um, my, my words would be, if you want to make it in life, go down on your knees, communicate with your creator, come with a plan, focus and balance, and nothing should, should stop you from achieving what you want. The power of the tongue is so powerful, and the power of the mind is also powerful. If you say to yourself, this is what I want to do, what's stopping you from doing it? In life, we fail and we rise. And I always say that failing is the first attempt, but in life we have a second chance whereby you can learn on your previous mistake and correcting it. There's nothing wrong with correction. It's like writing with a pencil. You do an error and you erase. You don't have to write with a pen, a pen when you pen something. So erase the, the mistakes you've done and look forward to the bright future. Well then, this has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic View. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.